This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. Our text for today is found in the 40th Psalm. We're going to look at the first four verses today, and I'll be reading the text from the New King James Version of God's Holy Word. We're going to be bouncing around a bunch of different places because the Lord kind of took me on a scriptural journey this week. But we're going to start here because he has a word for us concerning our perspective. And what you'll find written, beginning with verse 1, In the 40th Psalm, and again we'll be reading verses 1 through 4, reads in this fashion. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Verse 4 says, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. As we speak this morning to the subject, how are you feeling? Amen. How are you feeling? When I was growing up, my, my parents are both from the South, and the one thing that they always taught me, taught all three of us, is that you're supposed to have manners. Please, thank you. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Gentlemen, open the doors for ladies. Ladies, allow gentlemen to be gentlemen. And one of the fundamental things that they taught us is that no matter when you go someplace, wherever you go, you speak. Whether you know the person or not, you speak. Because that's just common courtesy. The speaking is the acknowledgement that you value them as an individual. The speaking is the acknowledgement that you understand that like you, they are an individual that has needs, that has wants, that has desires, that has gifts, that has talents, that has graces, just like you. But my parents took it a step further than that. Not only do you speak, they taught us, but you also inquire about their perspective. And we kind of looked at our parents kind of puzzled, like, what do you mean you inquire about their perspective? And our parents told us, not only do you say hello to someone, but you ask them how they're feeling. Ask them how they're doing. And they told us, you ask them this question because that gives you an insight as a child of God on what and how to pray for as it pertains to them. And as kids, we're like, wow, this is deep. We don't understand. But fast forward to now being an adult. Fast forward to now being an individual that understands and knows Christ that has been given the charge to share his word. The Lord began to deal with me mightily in this past week about perspective. Because far too many of us that have professed the name of Jesus Christ have lost our perspective in the midst of all that's going on. In the world today, we've allowed fear to come in where faith should abound. 
We've allowed the circumstances around us to dictate how we move instead of allowing the one that through him we live, move, and have our being to rule in our lives and in our hearts. We've gotten so caught up in what's going on around us that we've stopped looking up to gain a godly and heavenly perspective of what God desires to do. And in the Lord dealing with me in this message, he took me back to what my mom and my dad taught me. We acknowledge one another as sons and daughters of the Most High, but we don't check on one another enough concerning our perspective. Because if we did, we'd realize that far too many of us that have said yes to Jesus are saying no to his will and his way in practice because we've allowed our perspective to reflect the perspective of the world. Fear and faith are similar in appearance, sound, and makeup from a word perspective, yet they're worlds apart as it pertains to perspective and the produce that comes as a result of those opposite perspectives. Both of them produce after its own kind and both have specific arenas in which we operate in them. While fear is based on what we see, faith is rooted in who we know. And like our text, the effectiveness of our witness is housed in our response to the trials that come into our lives. When we look at all that's going on in the earth today, when we look at the shootings, when we look at the weather, when we look at the politics, when we look at the finances, when we look at the divorce rate, when we look at the incarceration rate, when we look at addiction, when we look at all the new things that are taking our children out in droves, we could throw our hands up for one or two reasons. We could throw our hands up in exasperation and let fear win, or we can throw our hands up in praise because we know that God inhabits the praises of his people. So our text here is showing us that we have to make the choice to rejoice in the midst of our trials so that others might choose Christ. Amen? It's our perspective. So it goes back to the question, how are you feeling? Are you basing your feelings on what you see? The false evidence that appears real, which is what fear is? Or are you basing your feeling on the faith, which is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen? Because if you're walking by faith, your walk is a little bit different. If you're walking by faith, you walk more upright. If you're walking by faith, your strides have confidence and assurance. If you're walking by faith, your steps have power. Because the steps of a good man and woman are ordered by the Lord. So every step that we take by faith makes an imprint, not only in the natural, but makes a greater imprint in the spirit and makes a, a, a huge divot in the kingdom of the enemy because he knows that that individual that's walking by faith can do damage to the underworld. Amen. So you may say, well, preacher, how can I make the choice to, to rejoice in times like these? You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the struggles that I've had. You don't know the trials that I'm going through. You don't know the tests that I've failed. You don't know the mountain that seems insurmountable for me to overcome. You're right, I don't. But God does. And here's the first way that we make that choice. We make that choice by being persistent, amen? We got to be persistent in what we do. Look at what it says in verse 1. It says in verse 1 in the psalm, David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. 
And he, he inclined to me and heard my cry. Let's talk a little bit about music. Particularly, let's talk a little bit about songwriters and muses, the songwriters. A muse is an inspiration for a writing of something. A muse could be a person, it could be a place, it could be a thing. In most instances, for artists that write, it's an incident. The majority of the Psalms, theologians argue and believe, David wrote. And David wrote from his experience. David didn't wake up one day and say, hey, that, that phrase sounds good. Let's put this together. But our itching ears, because of this flesh, get drawn to stuff like that. I listen to the music today, and some of the stuff that some of the kids out there listen to is really nothing more than like a beat over noise, and it's not even words anymore. It sounds more than anything else. You put a bunch of sounds together, maybe put a sound effect in there over a beat, you can have a hit. I was laughing at something I saw on YouTube about maybe two, three months ago where they, make, they, they were making fun of this one group and they're like, how you can sound like this group in 10 steps? You know, and, and steps were like, take phrases that nobody uses, take words that don't rhyme, uh, take stuff that's completely out of context, add a phone ring, put a beat to it, bring in something stupid like a tricycle, maybe have a llama in the background and put it on YouTube and you got a hit. It sounds funny, but can I tell you something? The enemy is wreaking havoc in the earth because he has God's people running in fear by doing things as silly as that in relation to faith. He's making all kinds of noise and having bells and whistles going off and having situations happen that make no sense and having circumstances take place that if and only if we were walking by faith and understood and had the proper perspective and were persistent in our prayer time and persistent in our study time and persistent in our fellowship and persistent in forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together in worship, we would know that this is nothing more than a trick or an attack of the enemy. But because we're walking in fear, because we're feeling with our emotions and our heart, instead of with our sense of knowing who's, who God is instead of being still and knowing who God is we're getting tripped up we're missing it but David in the midst of writing these psalms wrote from a position of experience he wrote from, from a position of being beaten down and being put in situations some of the situations he put himself in with his decisions but the one thing that David was which is why in the hall of fame of faith he was recognized as a man after God's own heart he was persistent in his pursuit of God and he was persistent in keeping God first in his life Psalms 25 and 5 says as it pertains to those that keep God first in their lives that he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. If we keep the proper perspective and walk in the faith in knowing that as long as I keep you first God I'm going to receive a blessing from you and I'm going to receive your righteousness because you are the God of my salvation. As long as I walk by faith and remember that God is in control, I can be persistent because persistence doesn't mean that you always see the end result right away. But persistence always pays off. If you do something like, like go to the gym, I go to the gym, you all know my story, the, the whole type 2 diabetes thing, they wanted to have me doped up on insulin, but by the grace of God, he showed me that through exercise I can change and reverse all that, and I'm reversing all that. 
I looked at a picture of myself about a year and a half ago and what I looked like then. Because my biggest gripe to, to everyone that knows me, my biggest gripe to everybody that listens, I gripe to my fiance all the time about it. I don't see, I, I still look the way I did before. I, I, I still feel fat. I still feel this. I still feel that. And she keeps telling me, no, you're not. You're growing. You're not the same that you once were. And yes, change is taking place, but it's growth. Catch this. It's not fat because you're sitting around. It's growth because of your persistence in what you're doing. Sometimes God has to take a picture of us, a snapshot of where we were six months ago, ten months ago, a year ago, in my case about a year and a half ago. Look at what you were then. Look at what you are now. We're not the same people because our persistence in prayer, our persistence in study, our persistence in worship, our persistence in pursuing him is going to show gains in our faith, show gains in our walk, show gains in the gravitas that we have. The enemy is going to become fearful of us because the fearfully aspect of us being fearfully and wonderfully made is kicking in because the fearfully aspect of that scripture is talking about the spiritual dynamic of who we are. The spiritual exercise of prayer. The spiritual exercise of walking by faith. The spiritual exercise of worshiping God. The spiritual exercise of praising. The spiritual exercise of witness. The spiritual exercise of walking out our lives in the way that God would have us walk out our lives. Brings about gains. I looked at the picture of myself and I'm like, oh my God, I feel like a rail. I was so small. But it put into proper perspective what God is doing in me through my persistence in the gym. Yes, he's making me healthy from the inside. But the world is seeing the gains from the outside, which makes me stronger in both places to make a greater impact in what I do. It positions you when God allows the gains to come in your life, to be a living witness for him. It positions you to speak from a platform of what you know. Because you've gone through it like David went through it. David understood that these trials are for a purpose. But i got to be persistent in my praise and in my prayer. And I'm going to chronicle these things in the form of song. And I'm going to bring them forth so that they come forth with testimonies like this one. Another line from one of his greatest hits. Psalms 25 and 10. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant. And his testimonies, all the past. That means sometimes we're going to have to shed some tears. We're going to have to cry and go through some things. We're going to hurt sometimes. We're going to have to deal with trouble sometimes. We're going to have to deal with loss sometimes. We're going to miss it. Because if we never missed it, we'd have no need for a Savior. We wouldn't need to be saved. But thanks be unto God, the word says, who gives us the victory. We can't obtain it ourselves. He gives it to us. Why? Because we've proven ourselves worthy of the prize. So the instruction that God gives us through David in being persistent is housed in yet a third of his greatest hits in Psalm. If you look at the 37th chapter, the 37th division of Psalm, verses 7 through 9, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. It says, don't fret because of him who prospers in his way. Don't fret, don't pout because people that are walking by fear, that are walking by this flesh are, are, are having achievement. Don't pout about that. 
It's easy to get discouraged. Well, how come they're getting everything and I'm not getting anything? Because it's not your time yet. Because when God does something, he only has it does it one time. And when he does it one time, it's done. But when we try to do things, we got to do them over and over and over and over and over and over. Why? Because the things that we have and even us ourselves, we're resources, meaning they can be replaced, which means they work and then empty out and then work again. But when you go to the source, which is God, you can rest in knowing that when God takes care of it, it's taken care of. There's a company, I think it's called ABC here in Illinois. And they do plumbing and stuff like that. And the whole premise of their commercial is that source mentality. People are saying, I got situations. I got uh, my plumbing is leaking. I got this happening. I got that happening going on. And, 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 and uh, their friends are like, well, what'd you do? They're like, well, I called ABC. And they're like, oh, so it's done. That's how we should be as it pertains to our walk. People come to us. You got this going on. You got that going on. I got this happening. I got that happening. Our walk should be so strong in God that we can say, I called on the Father. They should say to us, oh, well, it's done. Because the word tells us that we can rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. We don't have to fret for those that prosper in their way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. We can cease from being angry. We can forsake wrath. We don't have to fret because that's what leads to evil doing. Because when you fret and sit around and worry, You've taken your focus off of God. In my meditation time yesterday, I heard something that was so profound that it blew me away. I literally had to almost pull over to the side of the road concerning worry. Because it was a message I was actually listening to concerning worry. And the person said that everything is cyclical. Everything is about turning. And it referenced the, the, the passage of scripture where Jesus was talking about the flowers and, and how they don't spin and toil. And worry is literally a loop that your mind is put in by fear to keep looping over and over again how horrible something could be when nine out of ten times it hasn't even happened yet. And it's a speculation. What if? But if we allow those things to happen and if we start fretting over the things that could be what ifs, it's going to lead ultimately to evil doing. And it says that evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord. Those who worship Abba in the midst of their transition, which is the acronym I have for wait. Those that are willing to worship the Father in the midst of their trials. Those that are willing to worship the Father in the midst of their tests. Those that are willing to worship the Father in the midst of their troubles. Those that are willing to worship the Father in the midst of time will inherit the land. Because it's who we know. So when someone asks you, how, how, how are you feeling? I'm persistent. I tell them, I'm well. I am well. I profess that I am well. That means everything around me is well. Everything around me is intact. Everything around me is in check. Everything around me is as it should be, as God would have it to be. Because of who God is. Which leads us to our second point. Not only must we be persistent. But we've also got to be perseverant. And sometimes being perseverant is a challenge. But look at what it says in verse 2 of Psalm 40 as it pertains to that in relation to our walk. It says, he also, he being God, 
also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Highlight that in your mind, that phrase. And set my feet upon a right upon a rock, excuse me, and establish my steps. So the songwriter went on to write here that not only did I wait patiently for the Lord, not only was I persistent in waiting, and because of my persistence, he inclined to me and heard my cry. In other words, he listened over, he bent over and heard me crying out. But he also brought me up out of a horrible pit. He brought me up out of something. Which implies that the situation had broken down to the point that my posture had changed. When something breaks you down and your posture changes, in that instant, after that breakdown happens, you have a choice of doing one or two things. Because life in the spirit is like combat. It's like contact sports, like football. I was watching the Bears game, and even though they lost, I saw one play where the guy got hit in his midsection hard, and he got the wind knocked out of him. And he went down after that point of impact. And they kept showing it from different sides, and it was like, oh, yeah, that was a bad hit. But then they came back to the guy. And the camera stayed focused on the guy to see, catch this, what his response to that blow was going to be. Because if he didn't get up, the trainer would have to come get him and he would have been done in the game. But he rolled around in pain, but as the trainers were on their way, he waved the trainer off and he slowly started to get up. And he got up and continued to compete in the game. And even though the Bears lost, I'm encouraged. The people ask me why. I'm encouraged because as the game, even though the Bears lost that game, as the game went on, catch this, their offense started looking better because they started getting in lockstep with the plays that were given to them and they were shaking the rust off. Far too many of us have allowed rust to come into our walk because we've allowed the blows of life to knock us down and we've not been perseverant in getting up. Perseverance says, I'm going to get up no matter how many times you knock me down, I'm getting up. No matter how deep I fall, I'm getting up. Because it's, in, it's not in my will and it's not in my power that I'm getting up. Because my rising and my setting are housed in God's will. Jeremiah went through something like that, the prophet. It says here in the 38th chapter of Jeremiah, if you get a chance to read it, verse 6 in particular, it pretty much embodied physically the things that he went through. It says there, then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. Now let's stop there for a minute. A cistern is literally a container that held toilet water. That's what it was. Because before the days of actual toilets like we have here, they had a mechanism to do what they needed to do, and they, that was a place where they went and drew the water to do the necessary recovery from whatever happened, because they didn't have running water. That water was kept separate from the water they bathed in. So here it's saying that God's prophet, God's man, God's anointed one, the one that professed and said yes to the Father, yes, I'll do your will, the one that, 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 that said that I would go, who's being taken, it dropped in the toilet water of the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. 
But it got worse than that. It goes on to say, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now, in the cistern, in the, in the, in the container where there was toilet water, there was no water, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. <coughs> now, we've all had children. We know that in a situation like that in the sewer, when the water runs away, that's not mud in the sewer. We know what that is. So this pastor scripture is saying that God's man, God's chosen vessel, in the midst of him doing what God told him to do, found himself in a position where he was captive for a moment by his enemies and lowered into literally a whole bunch of crap. We go through all kinds of crap in our day-to-day -day walk. Blows are coming at us from every way. Blows are coming at us from every source. And it would have been easy for Jeremiah, like it's easy for us to just say, you know what, what's the point? It's too hard. We could throw our hands up in exasperation and say, I give up. We could be like the player and just say, coach, come get me out. But that's not the God we serve. David penned in Jeremiah 27 the mindset that we should have in being perseverant. It says in verse 5, For in the time of trouble he will hide me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. In times where it seems that we've sunk into the abyss of never coming back. As long as we know who God is. As long as we know who we serve. Even if it's with tears in our eyes. From the pain. Tears in our eyes from the stench of where we are. Tears in our eyes from the frustration that we might feel. We continue to strive to rise. All God asks us to do is take a first step. If we're willing to take that first step, God will reach in and pick us up. He wants us to take that first step because when we take that first step, we're in a position of tabernacle. Tabernacle is a place of fellowship and worship. David is saying here, in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his fellowship. He will hide me where he is. He wants me to come where he is because that's where my shelter is. That's where my refueling is. I took off coming out here today. And when I jumped in the car, I realized I didn't have no gas. So that's part of the reason why I ran a little late. I'm sorry. And in driving out, as much as my intentions were to get here on time, I knew that unless I made a stop in fellowship with that gas pump with my car, we were going to have a problem. Because no matter how determined I am to do something, when you run out of gas, you're helpless. You can't go anywhere. Far too many of us that have said yes to Christ have functioned in the mindset of fear. We're relying on this flesh to do what we need to do, and we've run out of spiritual gas. We've crashed. We've meant to do the right things, but we've crashed because we took God out of the equation. We've allowed our flesh to come in and rule. But we've got to understand and realize that unless and until we allow God to order our steps, we're just wasting time. My dad used to tell me all the time that one of the worst things that you could do is just get in your car and just rev your car and rev your car while you're sitting still. Because not only are you wasting time, he tell me, but you're burning up gas. 
Because every time you give that car uh, the, 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 the impetus to rev, what do you think you're injecting into that car every time you step on the accelerator? I said, what, Daddy? You're injecting gas. So you're literally wasting gas by stepping on that accelerator and revving that engine and not going anywhere. And that's what many of us are doing when we're walking outside of God's will. We're revving gas and we're making noise and we're sounding good, but we're not doing anything. Then, we'll get ready, then we, we get ready to get into gear and move out on our own thinking it's God and it's not. We don't go anywhere because we're out of gas because we've not made that stop like I had to make this morning at the gas station. And don't take much, but those refills make a world of difference. Because the way that they're building cars now pales in comparison to the way God built us. They're building cars now, the hybrid cars, where you can get 50, 60, 70 miles to the gallon. But God has built us to, to literally travel around the earth to share the good news in the time that he's allocated to us. And if we have sense enough to feed our cars, why do we not have sense enough in some instances to feed our spirits? Look at what it says here. In Psalm 37, 23, it lets us know that the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord and he or she delights in his way. We take delight in the path that we travel, knowing that the path that we travel is not our path. It's the path that God is ordering our steps on. And my path might look different than your path, and your path might look different than his path, and his path might look different than her path, and all of our paths might take us through a whole bunch of crap, kind of like Jeremiah's path. But in the end, as long as we're persevering and continue to look up and continue to reach up, God will come along and grab us. As long as we stay in a position of worship, as long as we stay in a mindset of tabernacle, God will meet us in our secret place. He'll meet us where only me and him know where the location is, and he'll pick us up, and he'll pull us out, and he'll clean us off, and he'll wash us up, and he'll freshen us up, and he'll put us back on the path. And when we get back on the path, we'll be even better than we were before, and we'll have even more gravitas than we did before because when you go through something and come out of what you've gone through you're stronger and better than you were when you than before you went through it you might be tired in that moment but the bible tells us to weary not in well-doing because in due season we have to remember those three words in due season we'll reap if we faint not we want to take in due season out, which leads us to our last point. We want to take in due season out and say, we're not in well-doing because you'll reap, period. But you're taking out the critical point, the time aspect. Those here that bake understand and know that to make a good loaf of bread or sometimes to make a good cake, you got to let the yeast rise. That takes time. There's nothing else that you can do. You can't make it happen right away. It just takes time. So the question is, what do you do in the midst of that time? How do we fill that time so that we don't negate what happens? We do the opposite of what you do in the house when you got something rising in yeast. When something's rising and you got yeast in, the, in, in, in play, you gotta, can't be bouncing around. Got to be quiet. Got to be mellow. Because the yeast is rising. And the yeast needs to rise to get to the point of being optimally effective. With God, the concept is the same, but the work is totally different. Our last point is that we got to be praise-filled. Amen? We've got to be praise-filled. We've got to be just the opposite of what 
the conditions have to be for the yeast. The, the conditions there have to be quiet. God don't want us to be quiet. He wants us to praise him. He wants us to make a joyful noise unto him because God inhabits the praises of his people because God is in the midst of the joy. That's why it says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Why is it my strength? Because in that joy, there's fullness of, of joy. Why is it fullness of joy? Because in that fullness of joy, I'm being refilled. Why are you being refilled? Because I'm being refilled because where the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And that liberty is allowing me to be open enough to be refilled. Why is that liberty? Because there's liberty because God is there. Why is God there? Because you're praising him because he inhabits the praises of his people. We don't have to look for the gas station. The gas station is willing to find us. All we got to do is turn the searchlight on. The searchlight is our praise. Look at what it says in verses 3 and 4 in Psalm. And I'm almost done. It says here, He, he being God, has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. So here there is no hiding what's being said. Here the songwriter pins exactly what's going on. This is an experiential song. I'm telling you in song exactly what's happening. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Many will see it and show reverence to God and trust in him. <clears throat> Far too often we're showing reverence to other stuff in our fear. That's why our fear is ungodly. We're showing reverence to the government. We're showing reverence to a disease. We're showing reverence to the doctor. We're showing reverence to the courts. We're showing reverence to the jail. We're showing reverence to other stuff. When instead our hope, as the song says, should be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Because it's on Christ's solid rock that we stand. Everything else should sink. Blessed is that man, verse 4 says, who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside the lies. Unless it's known in these two verses that we've got a reason, we've got a right, and we've got a responsibility to give God praise. We've got a reason to give God praise because we already see and know where we're going to wind up. We've got a right to give God praise because God has let us know exactly who we are. We've got a responsibility to give God praise because that praise ushers in the opportunity for him to be on the scene. And the responsible thing to do when you see something going on is to do the right thing to make it right. There's a Smokey the Bear commercial I listen to on the radio. It makes me laugh every time, but there's a line that makes a lot of sense, and it's where we should be right now as it pertains to the climate of our world. It says that, that you know, Smokey was telling us that because there was still some, some embers burning, we shouldn't leave. And, and the ranger says, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because Smokey's saying if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. We look at the plight of our world. It's too hot out there for us to, 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 to even touch it. So if it's too hot for us to touch, it's too hot for us to take our spiritual hands off. And we can't leave it. We can't turn our back and pretend that these things are not happening. We have to be filled with praise. We have to be filled with prayer. We've got to understand and know that God wants us on the scene. Because we're the ones that can usher in the difference. We're the ones that can bring about the change. We can pray in change. We can do the works of service to bring in change. We can fellowship with other believers and make a chain in an area strong enough to bring about change. No matter how bad it looks in the one ring, in the second ring, if we ask God like Elisha prayed for his prophets when they were surrounded, open 
our eyes, our spiritual eyes, and we might see, we'll see that the ring around, the ring that's around us is much bigger. And those are the angels that God has that he's given charge over us to. We're never alone. Do you not realize that in this room, in this sanctuary right now, with the, with the legion of angels that each of us have, we have more than enough angels to, to do battle in the heavenlies and win this entire world? We've got to understand what we have. And by faith, praise God for having more than enough. It says here in Psalm 32, 7, that thou art my hiding place, God, you're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. You surround me with those. You gave them to me. So why am I not using them? Because I'm allowing fear, the false evidence that appears real, to shut me up. But instead, I need to do what it says in this psalm. If you read this, after what I just read, there's a word that says Selah. Yeah. And Selah means think about it. Yes. Think about this. God, you surrounded me with songs of deliverance, meaning you've given me songs to bring me through whatever situation I'm in. Think about it. The deliverance that I'm looking for is as near to me as my mouth and what I allow to come out of it. My response to the situation could either be based on false evidence that appears real or based on the, the, the evidence of things not seen. And if I choose to trust God based on who I know, what's going to come out of my mouth is going to lead and guide and direct and shape things in the way that God will want them to be shaped. So my feelings are based on my faith, not on my fear. Because if I base my feelings on my fear, how do you feel? Well, I don't feel good. I'm hurting today. And the doctor says I have this. And the doctor says I have that. And my this and my that. When you take ownership of it, possession is nine-tenths of the law. That's a spiritual principle, too. That's why when the doctor's like, Mr. Thomas, you have him like, with all due respect, doctor, you say, I say I'm well. You say that word. I say I'm well. According to you, the diabetes is there. But according to me and my God, my God tells me by his stripes I'm healed. My God tells me that he sent his word and healed me. My word tells me that long life, good health, and prosperity are all my portion because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what my word tells me. So as we walk by faith and not by sight, we can begin to change the atmosphere. And that's what God desires. He desires us to change the atmosphere so that it's conducive for him to move. Because again, it's in him that we live, that we move, and that we have our being. He's given it to us to have. We've got to go forth and take it by faith to exercise fully in it. Psalms 107, 2 and 3 Closes it all out. And it says that to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. And gathered from the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And what that's saying is that we're not alone. See in music when an artist has been around a long time. And they've made a lot of records and they've made a lot of albums. They've created what's called an anthology. And what an anthology is, it's basically a body of work that spans, in most cases, decades. And as you listen to that anthology, what you'll find is if you read the lyrics of the songs that 
the writer wrote the or the group wrote you'll begin to see that their music has a central theme it has a central message it has a central thought because the music is telling catch this the music is telling through incidences that have been caught in song witnesses and testimonies as have been caught in song is telling a story and individuals that follow that group follow that group because of the story that their music is telling the psalm is helping us see and David is helping us understand in the anthology that God wrote through David that praise is the key to telling the greatest story ever told. Faith is the key to tell the greatest story ever told. So if by faith we give God praise in the midst of what we're going through, it doesn't mean bad times won't come, but in the bad times, or as the songwriter wrote, in the times of trouble, he shall hide me. In the rock of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. As long as we understand and know that the anthology that God desires to write for our lives is an anthology that leads people to the one that saves, people will understand our music. People will understand the joy that we have. People will understand the praise that flows from our lips. People will come to understand the source of our passion. They'll understand that the muse for our praise is Jesus Christ. He's our source. From the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, people are singing the same song. You ever been to a place where, in fact, a few summers back, there was a song that came out that was just so annoying. I hated it. That song, Happy, I hated that song. But it got played so much, and so many people around me were singing that song, and I got so inundated by that song that I had no choice but to receive that song. And I found myself, even though I didn't like the song, walking around humming the song. I was like, why am I humming the song? Because I've been inundated with it so much that even as much as I wanted to reject it, my spirit accepted it because it was all I heard. Think about what we could do in the earth if all people heard was the praise of God from our lips. If all people heard was worship all around them. If all people heard was people praying prayers of salvation and getting saved. Think of what we could do in the earth. <coughs> this is why the word says if one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. That's why 10,000 10, 10, to flight, excuse me, that's why three can put 100,000, four can put a million. We can change the whole world if we were persevering enough, if we were persistent enough, and if we were praise-filled enough to continue to lift up God in all that we do. People would be like, I'm sick of hearing this. Tell me about the Jesus you serve. Why is everybody around me so happy? That's our opportunity to make a difference. So the Lord took me back to what my parents taught me and told me simply to remind each of you. Be willing to be nice. Be willing to not only say hello, to be cordial, but remember every brother and sister that you run into has struggles just like you, has ups and downs just like you, has needs just like you has a void that only a salvation and loving relationship with Jesus Christ can fill. And ask them, not only in the natural, but ask them in the spiritual, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? 
What's the driving force behind your feelings? Are you driven by faith? Are you driven by fear? Ask the Lord to show you as they tell you. Ask the Lord to give you the discernment to know, truly know, the words that are coming out of the mouths of their spirits so that you then can pray for them and be the blessing that God has called us to be in this hour. Amen. We thank and praise God for his word on today and we thank and praise God for all that he's doing in and through us. I pray that you are blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. If by chance you've never taken the opportunity to do either one or both of those things, won't you take the opportunity now? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die, that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin. I ask you into my heart. I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith, I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want to welcome you to a life in Christ and a new life as a living witness for our Lord and Savior. Please email me and let me know of your experience and let me know your testimonies and how God is blessing you. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. Again, that's living, the number two, witness, at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.